Welcome to the Gen X Music Show. Before I get started, I would like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th, and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. A lot of restrictions out here in Denver, but Blanchard is still open, and they're still able to provide you with some great, great wine. Uh, go to bfwdenver.com uh, and just go there to get, surf through their selection there, and it's, it's all good, uh, as you heard on this podcast. The 2017 Cabernet is my personal favorite. Um, but if you don't like that, they got whites, they got blends, they got, you know, other things that you can really check out from their, uh, uh, they make their own wine from Sonoma County in California. So it's right there and it's available for you. Uh, they also have virtual wine tastings that are really, really uh, popular. Uh, you got to book those months ahead. So I just go to bfwdenver.com and book those right now. Uh, my favorite place in Denver to get wine. Once again, they're located in the 18th, between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, when you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining us in the latest Gen X Music Show. Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Morton, and with me today are two of two of the uh, of of the members. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have Pat with us today, but uh, we do have a man who joins us from not his parents' basement, but his own, somewhere in a part of Denver that it has a lot of trees. Uh, I'd like to uh, introduce my friend. Joe. Hello, Joe. That was pure rock and roll, man. It was pure rock and roll. That's a great ass. Doctors should prescribe that <laughs> to patients. And joining us somewhere in Colorado, somewheresville, Colorado, in a city named after uh, a junction of aquatic vessels merging together. <laughs> that narrowed it down. <laughs> I would like to introduce to you, Magnus. Hello, Magnus. That's right. Gunnison calling. How are you guys? Yes. Oh, by the way, I, I am ready for a good time. How are you ready? Right. So uh, here we are. And if you couldn't tell by the title, uh, when you're clicking on this uh, particular podcast, we're going to talk about ACDC and the ACDC's uh, latest release of their uh, newest album called Power Up kind of spurred us to kind of talk about this band and a band that, uh, uh, has been a big, uh, not, well, I wouldn't say big part, but omnipresent in uh, our lives and the mm -hmm. time that we've been arriving and in, in, into music. And mm -hmm. to kind of get us started, this is, uh, uh, what was it, a couple weeks ago, we got the first single, Shot in the Dark. And I, I recall I sent that to, uh, to uh, the group chat. And my, to my first recollection, it was just, it, and, and I believe to Magnus's, uh, it was, it was ACDC. Like it was like, oh, it's typical ACDC. Was that the kind of the your thought pattern when I sent that out to you? Uh, yeah, 
<clears throat> I had um I had heard it already and um didn't think much of it actually. I thought, oh that sounds like an A C D C song could have been from any of their albums in the last forty years. Mm-hmm. Um didn't grab me necessarily. Um and kind of passed through my mind until the album came out and then I was reminded, oh yeah, there's an A you know, C D C album. Uh well, this album came out and and it done as a tribute to the late Malcolm Young, uh, rhythm guitarist, brother of uh, Angus Young, lead guitarist. And Joe, when you think ACDC, you know, obviously um, they've made the joke that all of their albums sound the same many, mm-hmm. many, many times. Yeah. Um, so when you think of ACDC, what are your core... Uh, what do you want in an ACDC album? What are your, your core uh, like principles of any ACDC album? Well, they're right. They, they have made the same album pretty much since uh, Back in Black. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. I mean, you know, the nice thing is it's, in a topsy-turvy world that we live in, isn't it nice that there's a band you can always count on to just rock? Right. You know, and that's kind of what, what we got. We got that again because I listened to the first couple of tracks today because i mean obviously i heard oh there's an acdc album out well i've heard every acdc album so i know what this one's like <laughs> um so but i listen to it it rocks it's great um but i i don't even have the new one on my like library what i ended up doing actually from the podcast was was listening to the uh there's always like at least a couple good songs on an acdc album all the way from well back in black's all good and then everything Brian Johnson on, there's always at least a couple tracks. You're like, oh yeah, that goes in the permanent library, you know. Like, so I, but I had realized I had not really ever listened to Flick of the Switch or Fly on the Wall. So I started, I, I blow up your video, those three. So I actually went back and kind of listened to those and Big Gun as you introduced. I was yeah. like, this is like the greatest rocking thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, this makes me happy inside, you Big, know. Yeah. Big Gun is one of my favorite ACDC songs. It it's was so really- good. It was released at a time when, uh, like, it was after Razor's Edge. Mm. It had been, like, three years after it, and it just, uh, it, it rocked. But it, it was, like, a great riff. It's really what you expect from ACDC, right? Exactly. Loud, the- box, bombastic, yeah. riffy rock, right? Generally, the songs that really stand out on all the Brian Johnson albums are the ones that have the best riffs. Right. You know? Because, like, otherwise, like, you know, it's, like, for otherwise, like, the songs are kind of, you know, they all kind of have the same riff. But there's always like one or two songs in an album where like, oh, that's the riff of the album. And those are the ones generally that really stick out in your mind. Well, and for this latest album, Power Up, mm. there's a song on there that I just really enjoyed. It was called Through the Mist of Time. Now, I did some research. Oh, you're making that title up, honestly. Yes. <laughs> for, a, through, yeah. for an ACDC, it's a little too sentimental for a... That sounds more like a uh, Fairport Convention song. <laughs> or a, you know, like something like that, yeah. But it is the best ACDC song that I have heard in the last 25 years. Wow. I'm putting it on the list. I'm going to listen to it right after the podcast. So. And uh, I did some research. And At that point, it'll be really helpful, Joe. <laughs> so, uh, let us know. No, next week, let us know what you think about it after the podcast. Next week, we'll have a supplemental feature. Next, after Thanksgiving, we'll have a supplemental feature called What Joe Thought of Music He Didn't Listen to When He Spoke. <laughs> Joe, Joe decided to, uh, to do the podcast in reverse and do the research yeah. after we do the podcast, yeah. which, is, yeah. which is whatever. But, uh, but it, it's very good. And I think, uh, Magnus, you agree with me on that one because it's, um, it's, I don't know, it's got, a, it's got a special quality to it that, I mean, really, we haven't heard from an ACDC song in a long time. Yeah, I think... Um... 
I'm going to disagree a little on a couple things. I, I know that band likes to joke that they make the same album over and over again. I think someone said to Angus one time, um, what do you think when someone tells you you've made the same, al same album 10 times? And he goes, I'm very offended. We've made the same album 12 times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so they have a good sense of humor about it. But um, I actually think that joke covers up some very interesting intricacies in the best ACDC. And uh, Through the Mists of Times is one of, one of those things. Mm. It's, it's unique. It's uh, heartfelt, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the best ACDC song since Razor's Edge, at least. Mm -hmm. It's one of the best ACDC songs ever. One of my favorites already. Mm. And part of it is because it is unique. And, you know, when I think back to songs like Ride On or Night Prowler, mm -hmm. Right. You know, those aren't those aren't mindless headbanging rockers. No, those are you know, and and even uh, songs like Hell's Bells or Razor's Edge, they're capable of generating different moods and going into the maybe even malicious side of the emotional spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, some slower burns. Um, I think you know the the sense that we have that ACDC has the same song over and over again is because those are the songs we hear. Right in football games on the radio, it's money talks, it's big guns, but something like Thunderstruck is brilliant. No, it you know, is actually. Was a, who was a glass yeah. musician was very impressed. I remember by that um, that intro. See, yeah, so I, I I I feel like that joke that they make the same album really kind of overlooks and maybe that's the point that they they have in making those jokes is that the real musicianship and actual range they have now do they like to headbang and rock out on mid-tempo riffs for the most part yeah even there though there's a lot of subtleties um shot in the dark actually didn't grab me at first because it sounded like a typical acdc single right, right? But the more I listen to it, and especially when I heard it in the context of the album, I'm hearing things in it that I haven't heard in other ACDC songs that I really started to appreciate. So, um, you know, they are meat and potatoes, but meat and potatoes is tasty, you know? <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and some meat and potatoes is better than others, you know? The au gratin potatoes with a ribeye medium rare is very different than a string of burnt beef you get, at, you know, first cafeteria or whatever. Well, <laughs> well I got through. I get. I got through this out there. Uh, it's certainly this album certainly light years better than uh, um, Rocker Bust. And <clears throat> I never hear that one. Yeah, and it, and it, it's not. It's it's Rocker Bust sounded very tired. Mm. It, it sounded like they were at the end. And that's really what it, it was. It just they, they just sounded listless and uninspired. Power up sounds powered up. It sounds like there's energy back in them. Mm. And one of my favorite things about this album is it's, it's produced by Brendan O'Brien, who oh, I love Brendan O'Brien. Yeah, who produced uh, uh, Ten, uh, Pearl Jam, and uh, produced Rising. Yeah, The Rising. Uh, mm. As we talked about, the the greatest album about bread baking ever. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, he also did uh, Rage Against the Machines last one, or at least he did. Uh, he did their cover of uh, of Ghost Tom Jode. 
and they were a produced uh, had a hand in producing the Black Crow's first album. Oh, that's right. I remember that. And uh, it is just he is it, it, a, good, a good producer. It's a little compressed for my taste, but it's good. And mm. um, I think that what he did was imagine man, you know, kind of capture because ACDC's kind of had a, a spotty history with uh, um, producers, and the ones that were produced by uh, George Young. Uh, back in the yeah. 70s. Banda and Young did all the Bon Scott. Right. Uh, albums, yeah. And Highway the... to Hell, I think. I think that's well, when they... Yeah, Highway Mutt... to Hell was Mutt Lang. Mutt Lang. Yeah. Mutt Lang yeah. did their two best albums, basically. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I, 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 I did all with uh, Discovering Shania Twain and Lost All Credibility. Well, yeah. I would argue he produced their three best albums. <laughs> I would include... Uh, uh, oh, about to rock. I was about to rock in that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but... Then, you know, obviously you come to, they've had this weird history with producers. I don't remember. Do you guys remember who, produ who produced Razor's Edge? No, I don't. I remember they had a different drummer on that. Yeah, it was Chris too. Slade from the front. Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> um, but he that was. Great look, though. You know, that bold, angry guy. Yeah. Remember uh, ACDC Live at Donington, one of the coolest, like, live albums and live That's performances great. ever. Oh, my God. Well, the oh. introduction with Thunderstruck, where he's he's standing by himself upon the... Oh, yeah, yeah, so good. <laughs> Anyone who hears this, go right out. Don't even finish the podcast. Go get ACDC Live at Donington. That's, what I, that's my two cents. Uh, Razor's Edge was produced by Bruce Fairbairn. Okay, Bruce Fairbairn, who... Was actually very good. I mean, he produced a couple of Van Halen albums. Um, uh, good producer. Um, there, there was a, but anyway, we're coming back to, to coming back to Brennan O'Brien. He manages to, and he's a, a renowned rock producer, and he managed to capture the energy of ACDC again. And quite frankly, uh, that had been missing on Rock or Bust. Uh, it was great on Black Ice. I thought Black Ice was really, really. Uh, I didn't hear that one either solid uh acdc album but uh but this one was is is really really good and it's the good thing about it is that there's no cl real clunkers on the album every well, song is ca catchy you know morty yeah let me uh i'll jump in there i agree with you i think um the word inspired is the right word right. it feels like they're having a great time playing they all sound great uh brian johnson has no right to sound that good um <laughs> right at this point, and yeah, he sounds great. I would say, um, you're right, there's no clunkers. That's one of the things that stands out. Even on good ACDC albums, there's always one or two that I skip over or don't put on my phone or iPad. But this one is all the way through. I would have one criticism about it, and it's a tiny one, is that it kind of peters out at the end. I think the last two songs, Money Shot and Code Red, yeah. they're not bad, and I like them when I'm listening to it. But then it ends, and I feel like it's, they're not the strongest closing tracks. They feel like kind of mid-album rockers that just kind of got stuck on the end. So I wish it had a better close. But other than that, it's, it's solid all the way through. But it's an ACDC album with, with, a, a, with a song called Money Shot. I mean. <laughs> and by the way, can we just thank the good Lord that their um, sexual politics are gloriously unrestructured? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once again, consistency is one of the hallmarks of this. Movie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, Joe, when you when you go into this, it's like, okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna, you know, kind of talk about, you know, framing this album in context with the albums that we've heard through 
our time uh, experiencing uh, ACDC. Um, when you when you hear an ACDC song or a new ACDC song, you kind of already hinted at this. It's kind of like you're like, well, it's ACDC. You know, it's another ACDC song. Is there a uh, is there like something you like are looking for to maybe take it to where you want to listen to more to it, or is it is it just whether you have the time kind of thing? I don't really know. Um... I'd say for me, though, and um, I want to come into this. That was one of my biggest things about coming into this subject on the podcast is when I go to listen to ACDC, it's always, almost always, I'd say 90% of the time, it's Bon Scott ACDC I listen to because he just was, he was brilliant. I, I, he has one of the most unique and awesome rock and roll voices I've ever heard. Compared to Bon Scott, Brian Johnson just, just screams. I'm not saying that's a bad thing because it's it's rock and roll, you know, and hard rock and roll. Screaming definitely goes with that. But with Bon Scott, there was this wit involved with it. They talk about like they talk about like um, I was even reading something about like the inherent misogyny of ACDC, you know, and blah blah blah. Which I always, which even coming across that, I'm like, yeah, I guess if a feminist could interpret that as you know crass or whatever, but it was always so comical, especially with Bon Scott. Like generally women were in the driver's seat, you know, when it came to, to his songs about women. You know, it's like a song like Go Down, maybe about a blowjob, but it's like an homage to the women who do them well. You know, it's like, it's like he's not like, oh, you're just somebody who's a, uh, who does oral sex on men. You're like, you're the queen of women who does oral sex on men. You know, you know, so, it's, a good, yeah. you know it's a good example of that, Joe. I think you're huh. exactly right. Yeah. Uh, on their first album, uh, High Voltage, She's yeah. Got Balls. Yeah, yeah. Which was about Bond's ex-wife, and he made the joke, uh, "Oh yeah, she had balls. She had mine for years." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. or like hell, hell's not a bad place to be. It's about like a controlling woman, but it's like, well, she controls me, but she also, I love her, and like everything about her is fantastic, you know. So it's just like it's weird because it's like you can make kind of more of the case with Brian Johnson, not really, because even with Brian Johnson, it's 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 tongue in cheek and it's fun the misogyny quote unquote well you can't get more tongue-in-cheek than let me put my love into you yeah yeah which (laughs) somebody somebody pointed out as like and thought it was a rape fantasy i'm like that's not a rape fantasy give me a break why would you even say something like that you know what Joe? they're saying the same thing about rejection on this album you know the lyrics are if you reject me i take what i want you know oh yeah uh so they, they're still saying that about them and they've been saying it about them for years. Well, in that spirit, gentlemen, let's, uh, let us uh, start off with some, with some of this uh, little taste of uh, Bon Scott ACDC on their first album, High Voltage! High Voltage!
So yeah, that that was some uh, that was some good riffage, right? Yes, it's got it's got swing to it too. It does. It does. And I, the I swagger. Think, you know, yeah, when you hear about um, the troubles they had in their early years finding a rhythm section that stuck with them, you know, they kind of had a revolving door of drummers and basses for a while, and a lot of times George Young, their older brother, would have to fill in on bass on live shows because they just you know basses were coming and going. I think when they found that Phil Rudd, Cliff Williams combo, that's mm-hmm. when they got that swing that they really wanted, that they were lacking before. Mm-hmm. This is before Phil Rudd, I think, isn't it? Uh, yes. Wasn't their first album? Um, um, I actually heard the rhythm section was on their first album. Yeah. I'm not sure either. I and think I- actually George Young might have played bass on some of the tracks on the album, and Malcolm even. I can see that. That album was split up in... Um... Uh, in Australia, it actually came out in '75 in two different parts. Um, it was released internationally the next year. Um, that's actually kind of uh, here. Here's a preview of the next show we do. We're talking about our favorite years in rock and roll, and one of the reasons I picked one of the years of rock and roll was ACDC. Wasn't the biggest one, but yeah, but like the fact that they came on the scene, you know, when they did. They yeah. Kind of, yeah. What do you think? I mean. And we're kind of talking about Bon Scott era ACDC. It was kind of ramshackle, and they real, really were trying to figure out what they were. They had their formula, but they're trying to refine it. Uh, I don't think High Voltage is a great example of ACDC. No, first it. album, generally, yeah. isn't. Very rare cases. You know. But they did refine yeah. it very well by the second album, I thought. It also has... It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, uh-huh. which was yes. the all-time greatest song. It is. Any rock and roll song with a bagpipe solo, you got to – that's something to listen to. Come on. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like you, you get the feeling that they were, uh, you know, creeping up. Um, and, and they just had this kind of fierce, um, particularly with the, the Young Brothers – Angus and Malcolm, they had an idea of what they wanted very early. Mm. Uh, because Angus is pretty young. Uh, I'd still at that say time, so. they never, they never, their songwriting was the best with Bon Scott. Like the songwriting, like just how great the lyrics were and like the tongue in cheek element, like was never surpassed. Yeah. Like Brian Johnson's a great lead singer and a great front man and everything for ACDC, but like the wit kind of wasn't there as much afterwards. Like, that's what I love the most about Bon Scott. Well, and we'll come to Brian Johnson in a second because his his uh, former band Jordy, mm. um, he was a much better singer and much more witty. It, I, I never heard any Jordy personally. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting. If you listen to some of those songs, it's very interesting to see the difference um, uh, between. Me, yeah, that. I no, I think that's a good point, Marty. I I'll stick up for Brian Johnson in this manner. Um. It's I'm hard to tell. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get it. But you, yeah. And you make a good point. But I, yeah. my concern is it's hard to tell if what Brian Johnson delivers is what Brian Johnson wants to deliver or if that's what Angus and Malcolm want from him. I could see, I could see that. Yeah. You yeah. know, because they, they took over the lyric writing. They basically treat him as a hired gun. <laughs> For all we know, he wants to write more interesting lyrics and and chip in the melodies and they just have shut him out of that process that's kind of my impression well yeah well and look at it this way hell's bells is good lyrics all right that's 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 
That's another thing I couldn't really yeah. track down to. How much of, of Back in Black was written before Bon Scott died? That is a uh, the, all the they they rehearsed with him, but any mm. sort of and this has been debunked many times. Mm. It was all Brian Johnson, all Brian yeah. Johnson. On okay. that. They 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 will go out of their way to say no. Because first of all, there's, there's some legal legal issues if they credit Brian Johnson with lyrics that were written by Bon Scott. That, 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 uh, okay, yeah. so you're saying nothing of on Back in Black retains Bon Scott's. Uh, well, the lyrics. the riffs originate from when they were still with Bon, of course, because yeah, they, they were already Bond. in the midst of but the lyrics. Yeah. I mean, Brian Johnson. I've heard him <laughs> say that when he went into, they were filming it in Jamaica or recording it in Jamaica, and he sat down to write you know, it was one of the first songs he was writing and he was, he was hearing the rip and there was a hurricane coming. And so uh -huh. he was rolling thunder, you know, power, and power and rain. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Coming on like hurricane. Cause he's like, that's what I was seeing. And then, and he goes, and once I got those lines, it all came out and we cool. got it done. That's well, awesome. so I, did, I think he did write, you know, and, and if nothing else, that album shows that he can write really interesting. Yeah. Well, both that and uh, for those about the rock, which features a, an interesting a uh, song about drug addiction called Spellbound. And uh, it, it is something that you, he could do at the time. And then he just, I mean, he admits it. He, he, went, he hit writer's block about, about the time Blow Up Your Video came out. But, mm -hmm. you know, back to the, the Bon Scott era, era I think they, they finally started hitting their stride um, right about the time that... Um, Right about the time that Let There Be Rock came out, right? Uh, I think that is where they really became. What we knew of is ACDC. Yes, I think. Or not, actually, not so much anymore, because actually most people probably do identify with the Brian Johnson era of ACDC. That's what they think of. Right. Yeah. I think very few people do appreciate Bon Scott ACDC. I just don't think it's played as much. I don't think it's as in the consciousness, like the mass consciousness, as well, Brian Johnson. And let us let us hear a little bit of uh, let there on um, let there be rock a whole lot of Rosie. So yeah, that was a uh, ah. whole lot of Rosie, man. That's a uh, that's, uh, that's an, overweight, an overweight groupie that they, I guess, they just loved having sex with. And uh, about an homage, right? Yeah, yeah I, I remember I read a quote from Bon Scott where he met the, you know, he's talking about meeting this this girl who inspired the song, and he said she was about six foot something and a couple hundred pounds, and he goes, I, he goes, I. I just had to climb that mountain, you know. I just had to. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I, guess the, I guess he saw her later, uh, a year or so later, and she had slimmed down quite a bit, and he was really disappointed. <laughs> <he wasn't interesting>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's so funny to think uh, about how a song like that can come about. 
about mm. how how it just it's it's a, a song about a groupie, a fat groupie essentially who's who's a normal a rock and roll tradition. Yeah, obviously. songs about groupies. You know, yeah. we can make a whole we can make a whole show out of songs about groupies. Yeah, and yeah. it's it, it's uh, it's just a a a it. It's really kind of where Quintus. It, it's, that I think is where quintessential ACDC flowed. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it, that's where it came out. And I and I think that uh, uh, of the Bon Scott albums, I tend to go back to Let There Be Rock a lot. I think yeah. Highway to Hell is restrained a bit. Bon Scott, to be my personal honest. favorite by far. My favorite ACDC album overall by far is Powerage. Powerage, yeah. Powerage is great. Awesome. Yeah. In fact, in fact, I thought of Powerage when I was really starting to get into Power Up. I I, I don't think the new album is on the level of no. Back in Black or Highway to Hell, mm. but it's definitely in the second tier with Powerage and Razor's Edge. I think. Oh really? Yeah. But you say Powerage second tier. I say foolishness. I well, say- only, <laughs> only in that I think Back in Black and Highway to Hell are better albums. Well, that was like kind of their creative peak too. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah, yeah. But you know what I love about the Bon Scott lyrics? I think, you know, both Bon Scott and Brian Johnson sang about rock and roll and the good things about rock and roll, partying, girls, etc. But Bon <laughs> Scott had the ability to also talk about the downsides of that lifestyle. Yeah, right on being an amazing example. Yeah, in ways so. that are both in funny ways and also kind of touching in sad ways. And yeah, I think yeah. that, uh, that makes it interesting to me to listen to his lyrics. What, well, and it's in, in that way, it's analogous to, a, to uh, Van Halen. I mean, David mm. Lee Roth was talking about the same thing Sammy Hagar was. He just did it differently. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that it's 100% applicable to ACDC. And uh, the, there is just a, a difference. That, and, and, and honestly, it's a, we talk about the way the, the singers make a difference on these albums. But I'll, I'll tell you, the writing from Angus and Malcolm Young uh, – changed i thought fundamentally with back in black oh uh, for sure they they uh, whether it continued on with bon scott i'm of the mind mm. that it, the album would not have been the success it was if bon scott was a singer i could see that it's always very interesting to think about like where would acc have gone if bon scott had survived would they have would they have would they have continued would they have been as successful yeah it's hard you know, to that's that's a great point. I mean, it's possible that that kind of cheeky, uh, somewhat smutty quality about Bon Scott's lyrics yeah. that we like might have prevented them from getting the bigger audience that they got with Back in Black. That's true. Hard to say. It's possible. And, um, yeah. And I also, I also think Brian Johnson brought a more guy I'd like to sit down and hang out with vibe to the band. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, which ended up really helping them when hitting the mainstream, especially in America, is that sense that, oh, these are four guys that I could totally have over to my house, you know. Hmm. And Bronca had a totally different vibe, um, slightly easier. That's true. Bon Scott's had a reputation, too, as being like, especially weird kind of to look at him now, that he was the kind of guy who was in a fight like every other every other night or whatever, you know. He, would, he wouldn't back down from anything. I know I've heard that about him, you know. Whereas, yeah, I guess you're right. Brian Johnson is a little more like, hey, I'm your buddy, you know, and like, you know, a little more, a little more um, friendly. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, uh, it, it, he is a, a different kind of guy because they, didn't they assume that he was a roadie when they met him? 
Yeah. Like, isn't that the stories that they, they just, uh, he went to audition and because apparently Bon Scott had seen him performing with Jordy and mm. uh, remembered him and uh, they, they came in, he came in for the audition and he was just there hanging out with the roadies. So they assumed that he was one of the roadies. I think I've heard that as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. So in that vein, mm. here is a little bit of Jordy. Uh, oh, cool. Some Brian Johnson circa 70s um, and see how this gets on. Uh, brought some uh, wow. taste of Jody. Yep. Brian Johnson? Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's certainly different than the yeah, very different. The screaming guy with wearing the uh the uh the hat that we've seen with ACDC. Well I've heard and is this true that uh the ACDC generally don't have super long concerts because Brian Johnson can't keep that up for like two, three hours. Well I mean they go two hours. Do they go yeah. two hours? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's kind of that's why I'm saying it's amazing. He sounds as good as he does on the new album. It's a, yeah. It's a but it just goes to show you, you know, that clip from Jordy, that delivery style that we know of him in ACDC may be what that music requires. You know, it's kind of like I remember reading someone had known John Bonham before Led Zeppelin, mm. and then saw them saw John Bonham with Led Zeppelin, and he's like, "That's not the same drummer. He did not play like that." until he was in Led Zeppelin. So something about the group brings something out of you or, or yeah. you know, makes you play or sing in a certain way. Well, that's always a good thing about musical collaboration at all is certain people will bring certain things out of out of your playing, I'm sure. You know, yeah. being a wannabe musician, even like I am, like I know that like if I would play with, like jam with Morty, say versus jamming with my brother, that's going to be a very, very different situation. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. I will go on a long-winded solo, and when Joe doesn't agree with it, I'll tell him to fuck off, which was a weird moment in my life. <laughs> oh, I was, I was thinking that when we, when we, when we were doing uh, uh, knocking on heaven's door. Oh, and, and I, <laughs> and you just started soloing for like twenty minutes, and eventually I was keeping the uh, the rhythm because that's me. I'm Mr. Rhythm Guitar. I, I kept the rhythm for a little bit, and then I just started laughing and felt. Like, <laughs> bad because Morty was not even remotely done with that solo. No, I, 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 I was channeling. You turned, you turned Knocking on Heaven's Door into a prog rock classic. Right, I was channeling really? my inner uh, Richie Blackmore. Is what yes, I was you were. You were, for sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, we, we're, we're going forward in time here, and then of course they get to Highway to Hell, and Highway to Hell is their first 
it, it, it wasn't a enormous seller, but it was a big seller in the United States. It was their breakthrough. It's the titular breakthrough that we all talk about. So when, sure. when, you, when you think about Highway to Hell, I mean, it's got some classic, classic songs on it, but it's also a lot more safe than their other album. No, I would keep okay, safe. You know? well, it's a cleaner sounding out. Yeah. Bandit and Young were a lot rougher producers. They really kind of just tried to capture the way ACDC sounded. Right. Yeah. Vermont Lang was very much about like he wanted to bring Angus out front, and he did. Yes, he did. You know, like the so he's a solo machine from that point on. Like there were never solos from Angus Young, like there were you know from Highway to Hell on. You know, right? He really became the front piece and the focus of the band at that point, which is not yeah. a bad thing at all. There's great songs on there, like uh, "If You Want Blood, You Got It," which I guess is you know inspired by a real life story where Angus Angus was bleeding because uh, he was hitting the string so hard and his fingers were just torn up and blood was spraying everywhere and the crowd went crazy. So, <laughs> Vaughn had that, oh, if you want blood, we got it. <laughs> yeah, great title. Great title. <laughs> you got uh, Night Prowler, of course. That, uh, That's a great song. Richard Ramirez yeah. to, uh, you know, for his serial killing uh, rampage through Los Angeles in the 1980s. He yeah. thought NCDC was Antichrist Demon Child, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. I, I wish i wish <laughs> <laughs> yeah the reality is uh you know something like their sisters saw it on her sewing machine and suggested it or so that's kind of the story they tell but yeah I wish it, was it doesn't even mean go both ways you know which would be you know what we mostly think of with uh that term anymore you know? wasn't a kiss supposed to be knights in, or in satan's surface or something like oh, that? Yeah, like, that is yeah and i'm like Kids and Satan. It's, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like it, it. It's like they. They, they didn't. They. They. But of course, I wouldn't put it past that. Those marketing horrors and kids think and about Gene, that sort of thing. All about marketing a band. I fucking hate Kiss, <laughs> but I respect the hell out of Gene Simmons for how much of a of a of a of a massive thing he turned Kiss into. Right. And I also I also respect Gene Simmons for helping discover Van Halen and Rush. Right. Oh, very cool. That's right. I did know that Rush went on tour with them. I didn't know Van Halen had opened for them. Yeah, uh, I think Gene Simmons recorded their first demos. He had saw them and thought they were great and tried That's to awesome. get them. Yeah. And I also love Gene Simmons in Runaway, which if you haven't seen it, he's a Ooh, great yeah. guy. Tom yeah. Selleck, yeah. That's a good movie. And uh, he also discovered, in a certain way, uh, Shannon Tweed. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The queen of popcorn. Yeah. So, uh, right now, if Pat if Pat was here, he'd be going, oh, my God. Oh, you, you, so you, could, you could hear him guffawing in the background. Oh, <laughs> God. So, uh, yeah, but Highway to Hell is a, is a especially the, the title track, is one of those quintessential songs of any era of ACDC. Oh. And it really it goes across, across and is, is... Everyone knows that song. Right. It's a perfect rock song. Yeah. And I love, too, is that Christian fundamentalists, they know that song. That's what I really <laughs> like about it, you know? It's like, and they can't really, you know, they can't tune it out because it just rocks too hard. That even, like, someone like uh, Jimmy Swagger would have been like, yeah, that song's kind of awesome, you know? Yeah. He, yeah. Jimmy Swagger. Uh, Jerry Falwell, he loved it, probably. Uh, I bet Pat Robertson loves it. Come on. Yeah. And, of course, this is where Angus's uh, trademark devil horns started. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Right. And now, now you know, of course, if you go to an ACDC concert, they hand out the lighted devil horns that you can hold up or put on your head. It's oh, awesome. <laughs> well, we forget how young uh, Angus Young was when this band started. 
he was a kid. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, 17, I think. If he I might have been younger than that when they started. I want to say he was like yeah. 14 or 15 when they started the band. Because he is significantly younger than the rest of ACDC. Yeah. Um, and... Malcolm was two years older. They were the yeah. last two of eight kids. And Bon was same age. Uh, Brian Johnson and Bon Scott are same age, born the same year. And uh, of the band, as yes. it were. He, he was a full grown. Yeah, he was a full grown adult when they yeah. started the band. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So it's it, it's interesting, and if you read a lot of ACDC history, you know you you notice the progression of this, and maybe Magnus can can talk about this, but uh, the control that the uh, Young Brothers had over the band increased dramatically as the years went by, even when Bon Scott was there. Um, but it it just was more and more their brother was the producer and then you know they mm-hmm. were they were co-writing these songs and really you can't tell the story of acdc without talking about angus and malcolm and yeah mm-hmm. you know, it, it, what kind of direction they themselves steered the band right well you know the way it went down is that it was basically malcolm's band yeah. and angus was playing in some other bands and it wasn't working out. And so someone suggested to Angus, why don't you go play with your brother? And uh, Malcolm agreed and said, hey, you're as good a, good player, a guitar player as any. Why don't you come play with me? And Angus was kind of shocked by that because he looked up to his big brother. And he's like, oh, my big brother thinks I'm good enough to play with him. That's cool. Just kind of sweet. But then their dad heard the idea and was like, I'll give you guys six weeks before you kill each other. Because apparently they fought a lot back in those days. So yeah. they didn't think that was going to be possible. But, um, and then when they started playing together, a lot of people don't know this, it was a dual lead situation. Because yeah. Malcolm was a good lead player too, excellent in fact. And so they would switch off playing rhythm and lead. So it was much more of like a Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page and later Yardbirds type situation. Right. Yeah. And then to Malcolm's eternal credit, he was so canny and savvy. He told one of the other band members one day, uh, we're switching it, I'm gonna just take rhythm and angus is going to play all lead and the guy was like what are you talking about malcolm you're amazing you're just as good as angus i love that and he's like no trust me it's better i think malcolm knew that angus was a star yeah Yeah. and if you're gonna have a star let them be the star right and you know the fact that he would sort of give up the spotlight for his younger brother knowing that was the best thing for the band yeah very very rare in a musician especially where you have singers sibling rivalries ego and, and, yeah and i think i think that was the right call you know i mean and and i think uh i think malcolm saw that angus was going to become the the mascot of the band and that would actually and the- make this band the only band i can think of where there are brother guitar players where one of the brothers didn't eventually leave thinking of credence yeah. tom already yeah. left Dire Straits started out with Martin Offler and his brother right. playing guitar on the first album. He was gone by like the second or third album too. You know, it's like he was such obviously one was so much obviously the star that the other one was just like I can't take it. You know, yeah, out they That's go. Right. It's uh, so rare and so yeah. amazing. And uh, but you know Malcolm, so he took more of a backseat role on stage. But if you listen to their early producers and managers, they all say the same thing: Malcolm was in charge. Like if the manager wanted to sell something to the band, he talked to Malcolm first. Nice. And Malcolm had the vision and was definitely in the driver's seat. And and the other band members were fine with that, but definitely Malcolm was the guiding hand and 
I'm probably the, the guiding songwriter for many, many years, too. Well, and he was so right, too, because Angus was so, so much the star. Like, how small is that guy that a Gibson SG looks huge on you? That's right, exactly. always, I've always wanted to be Angus Young, to look down, you know, like there's a guy at my kneecaps who, uh, <laughs> you know, like, and then a Gibson SG looks huge on you, man. It does. It, do, yeah. it, do, it does, and those aren't big guitars. I, I've, I've, held, I've held them, and I, there's, they are not big at all. I will tell you this. There's, yeah. a, fam- there's a famous story to go in with the, uh, the, Malcolm, the Malcolm Young conversation, and it's that um, the, I think it's the Back in Black tour. Uh, Brian, Brian Johnson, of course, this is his first tour, and you know he's got a very thick, thick Geordie accent, right? Uh, Northern England. Uh, it is just like incomprehensible to normal humans, right? <laughs> and uh, it was so thick. He kept talking to the audience and talking to the audience, and no one could understand him. So apparently, after the gig, Malcolm went up to uh, went up to uh, Brian Johnson and said, "Stop fucking talking to the audience. <laughs> just get to the next song. No one can fucking understand you, right?" <laughs> That's fine. That is awesome. But that tells you that tells you the amount of control that they had over the band. I mean, even when Brian Johnson is co-writing these songs, and I'm sure to a lesser extent, Bon Scott, even though they kind of grew up with Bon, bon Scott in a wow, band sense. Gone, man. Yeah. Myself. Technical difficulties, folks. We, you it's more awesome. So, uh, yeah, uh, Malcolm uh, was like yelling at him because they could, no one could understand him. No one could understand Brian Johnson. Uh, yeah. Because of his accent, so he yelled at him. So that that kind of shows you the uh, the amount of control that the 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 young brothers, and particularly Malcolm, had over the band. And there have been, I mean, you know, no one has been able to con- to confirm this sort of thing. But I mean, Malcolm had a huge hand, even in later years, in writing these songs, and maybe maybe being the sole writer. One could argue, you mm. know. Interesting. That's why they're so riff heavy and all that. Because, you know, Malcolm Young was the quintessential rhythm player. Quintessential. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The trade off, even in all those ACC songs, is just perfect. You know? They're just like these, these lead parts and these rhythm parts, they, they exist perfectly together. All right. Yeah. If you, uh, if you read interviews with the, those band members early on, a couple things were clear. They definitely had designs on worldwide domination they were not interested in being an australian band and i think another thing that doesn't get talked about enough when you talk about the history of this band their Mm. brother george young had been in a very successful pop group called the easy beats what was their hit they had that big hit they had a big big hit what was it so i'm efforting in the city Oh yeah, yeah. my girl, she's so pretty. And they had they had toured England and in America, and uh, that band had not ended well for George. He had been disappointed in that experience, and so when he saw what his younger brothers had going, mm-hmm. he was uh, he thought that they had some real potential, and he was determined that ACDC not repeat the same mistakes that the easy beats had nice Uh, and as far as the business side of things and i think his guidance and support was crucial in those early years which and it must have been hard for them to have switched producers to mutt lang you know Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think they probably realized they needed that to get to the next level, but it must have been really hard for them as, as loyal as they were. Well, well, as let's, much given them. let's keep it. So let's keep something in mind, guys. It, it is hard to get known from Australia. I, 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 well, it, especially in 75, 76, right. let alone now. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, yeah. yeah. People always include the Bee Gees, and they were a British group that lived in Australia for about, you know, eight years of their life, and then they moved back to England. Yeah, they I don't really was, associate the Bee Gees with Australia. Yeah, they are a, they were a, a, a British group, but there <laughs> is a, there is a, it, it is hard. And then until the 80s, it, it was, like, almost impossible for yeah. an Australian band to really get a foothold. And but then in the 80s, there was an Australian obsession it was, with, yeah, exactly. yeah, American ops, obsession with Australia, and suddenly Yahoo Sirius had a career in our country. There was, <laughs> yes. Those dark days, yeah. <laughs> Paul, uh. Paul Hogan had a, had yeah. a <laughs> he made two decent movies, and then we just never saw him again. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but that was the pioneering, and then so I mean, even New Zealand, uh, a New Zealand band like uh, um, Crowded House, yeah, was yeah. able to, to get known out here. And that really, all of that, they owe it to ACDC. ACDC was the band that made it out of uh, out of Australia, and uh, Highway to Hell was the the kind of entrance into into what became known as the uh, uh, the the uh, Thunder from Down Under. You know, Thunder from Down Under. Yeah, that's fun to say. And, and you know, if they, if they had decided to stay in Australia, they could have been stars in Australia. But uh, and I think you know George Young had talked to them about you know they had gotten a lot of success locally and in in country, and then England was the next step, right? And George Young talks about preparing them for okay, you've been on TV in Australia, you have a gold record in Australia. When you go to England, you're going to be playing in shitty little pubs. Yeah. You're start at the bottom, and it's going to be tough. And I want you to be ready for that. And they were playing at the same time that punk was getting big. Yeah. yeah exactly. They were the perfect band. They were the, at the perfect time to go to England, too, in their yeah. career. You well, know? I mean, it, it helped that uh, all of ACDC songs were short. They yeah. were. Uh, they rocked hard. Right. Which what punk was doing at the time. Right. You know, yeah, they were almost in, in, inseparable. When you think about it, from from what punk was doing, they didn't, they didn't have any political message. They were obsessed with sex, as opposed to some punks who were obviously very politically minded and blah blah blah. Um, well, yeah. Brit- British punk, British yeah. punk was very nihilistic. Uh, uh, the, a lot of social. Well, no, the Clash's first album is very political. I mean, it's very yeah. much like social problems and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. like Sex, Sex Pistols, very nihilistic. Yeah. yeah. Well, it yeah. was very very political, and you know, it had that kind of like you know cut yourself and, 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 you know, spit on people in the audience kind of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but uh, it, American punk was very much the Ramones, you know. Anything coming out of CBGBs, I guess you could, you could classify as punk right. time. Right. Uh, last night I listened to an interview with Bon Scott where they asked him about, this is from 77, they mm-hmm. asked him about punk and he said, yeah, we thought that that would hurt us, but it really didn't. He goes, it kind of came and went. It was like a fashion Mm. And like all fashions, they come and go, and we're just rock and roll, and that's forever, you know. Yeah. Well, it, and what's interesting the- too when you think about that kind of stuff, because like, didn't you? Be there still, Morty? Did I? Did I leave? Can't hear you. Is there? Well, welcome back, and hopefully uh, my connection stays stable here. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. 
Um, week 10 of football isn't in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week 11. There's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of week 11, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head on over to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to earn a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 when, when signing up using the promo code MHS. Uh, don't worry if football isn't for you. DraftKings is giving all MMA fans who sign up now a chance to triple their winnings for any bet placed on USC 20 or 20, excuse me, 255. God, can't read. Uh, download the top-rated uh, DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up and to uh, sign up to get up to $1,000. That's code MHS to get a deposit bonus of up to $1,000 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Uh, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, gentlemen. Yeah. We, we are going to move into the Brian Johnson era of, of ACDC. Now, tragically, tragically, in 1980, uh, bon Scott went out with some friends, I think, and is uh, this story, and he ends up basically drinking himself to death. Um, he choked on vomit. <laughs> it's a classic way to go if you're a rock star. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. wasn't his vomit. Uh, yeah, but you get dust for vomit. <laughs> yes, but they, uh, he ends up dying, tragically, and Almost like immediately, the the band says, "Nope, we're not we're not folding up. Mm-hmm. We're we're going to get a new singer." They pick this guy who they they assume was a roadie, um, and they end up soldiering on and making the biggest one of the biggest selling rock albums of all time in Back in Black. Yeah. When you think of Back in Black, I mean, it's it's almost the album is almost perfect, don't you think? It's just like it's an yeah. album that is you can you can't hear a single song on there and think that's bad. Morty, but, I think yeah, I think someone who said it, I can't remember, but someone said that not only is Back in Black the best album ACDC ever made, Back in Black is the best album anyone ever made. Yeah. Um. And let's not forget that they had Bon Scott's family's blessing to mm. continue. Uh, you know, because his mother had told the band, you know, Bon would want you guys to go on, you know, because they were conflicted about it. So they felt like, you know, they had to. And and, and um, serendipity, Brian Johnson comes to an interview. You know, they, they, they reached out to Brian Johnson and he had was about to give up on the music business. He was going to start an automotive comp- business. And they asked him to come down from Newcastle to London to uh, audition. And he almost didn't do it. The only reason he went down to London that day is because he had another gig singing a jingle for a commercial. He was going to get paid 300 pounds. So he thought, well, uh, since I'm down in London... You know, and then he did the jingle, and then he gets out of the studio from the jingle, and he's like, and then there's the other studio across the street. He's like, well, I really got to get back. It's a five-hour drive. I work tomorrow. And he almost didn't cross the street and go to that second gig, that audition. And he I did. Hear, I want to hear that jingle. Chris, potato <laughs> chips! Yeah! 
Well, no, it would have been like that Jordy song I played you. Probably, oh. yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he was and he was late, and it, he ended up going across the street, and he walked in, and there was the band there, and Malcolm says, "Oh, are you and Brian Johnson?" Then you know we've been lo- we've been looking for you, and he crosses of the room and hands him a a pint of a Newcastle brown ale, and, mm. and Brian Johnson said that they were just so welcoming, and and he felt like he fit right away. Right, that's and awesome. But it was like what less than six weeks after Bond had died. It was yeah. kind of a miracle. Well, adversity always makes for great albums. Look at like Rumors. Rumors probably being one of the ultimate examples. Also, right? right. Um, you know, when whenever you whenever your life's in tumult, tumult is that the right word? Tumult, tumult. tumult. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know that makes for great art. Yeah. Well, and I I, I look at that album and I think. There is an album where every, absolutely everything worked. And oh. that is so hard to mm. achieve. Oh, yeah. You can't, you can't get a many instances where everything, absolutely everything just falls into place. Um, and as ACDC found out, that, that lightning in a bottle was hard to, to recapture. They've basically been trying to recapture it ever yeah. since. And it, did, it didn't stop them. Yeah, no, no, shut it. Yeah, and uh, but they get out, and, and I tell you what, You Shook Me All Night Long is a classic for a reason. The title track is a classic for a reason. Oh. You know, uh, uh, there are like, just let me put, like I said, like, let me put my love into you. It's actually uh, a, a, a great song. Like, it's it's body, but it's a great song, you know? That should be people's wedding vows, really. You know, yeah. like, the lyrics, let me put my love into you. Yeah. And and uh, I would say not only did everything work and fall into place, like you said, Morty, but actually everything was elevated. I think the songwriting was elevated. The playing <laughs> is elevated. Mm-hmm. It's clearly a, a next step for them as musicians and writers. Yeah. And, you know, who's to say that a new singer, that burned the new personality, the new singing style didn't contribute to that? You know, it's hard hard to say. But it is pretty much a perfect album. It's one of the only ACDC albums that I don't skip any song ever. No, uh, no it's a very good. It's actually one of the few ACDC albums that's like, because I don't really consider ACDC overall to be like an album artist to me. Like I, don't, I generally don't sit down and listen to their albums beginning to end. Back in Black being one of the few exceptions to that. Yeah, I agree with that. Power Edge, Back in Black, and now this new one are, are the exceptions for me. Yeah. Well, and, and you find yourself looking at that. It's like uh, um, not rock and roll ain't noise, noise pollution is the closest they get to Brian Johnson doing a Bron Scott, right? That is about yeah. The, yeah. That's about the closest that, that, that ever happened because, you know, Bon Scott liked his uh, talking while there's no music going on and the – Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of, um, and actually, that's a fun thing about Bob Scott's era, was he had the voice he had, he wasn't going to scream. So there's a lot of, um, that's a lot of where the dynamics come from in the Bob Scott area, is because there's there's whisper, uh, there's like a whisper to a yell kind of thing going on there, you know. Like, right, he's, yeah. he's not going to sing over loud guitars. So it's like, well, like when you played a whole lot of Rosie earlier, a perfect example, it's loud guitar, and then him loud guitar than him you know it's like there's a lot of that going on you know and that was a totally different dynamic but with when brian johnson comes in you can just rock all all you want he can sing over whatever you're gonna put you're gonna put there you know Mm -hmm. well 
there is there's just there's an element of back in black that is also a it, it was it was also done as a tribute to bon scott right so oh, yeah. um you know obviously that's why they got the black and you know and then famously uh sort of a tasteless uh sort of a uh a, one could argue um in bad taste tribute with have a drink on me have a drink on me yes yes <laughs> yeah and, and you got to figure i mean imagine what it must have been like for brian johnson to yeah step into that role and not know if it was going to work if the fans would expect you uh or accept you and yeah. and and worried about that legacy it, that must have been nerve-wracking and hats off to him for for nailing it right, right? i mean it could easily have gone south and you know, other than Van Halen and ACDC, are there any other bands you can think of that had two very different lead singers um, that actually worked or were even better as far right. as, say, popularity? Weirdly, I bring up Fleetwood Mac again. If you think about early Fleetwood Mac and how different it was from Peter like, Green. Steve, Steve, yeah, yeah, Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac versus when like Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks came in. And actually, that wasn't even the transition. There was Bob Welch, who no one remembers, singing mm. for several albums mm -hmm. uh right around the time christine mcvee came into the band but that's the only other one i can think of yeah it's kind of a miracle really right i mean it's very it's very hard for albums to make that kind of transition which goes yeah. to show how good of a band how good a bands they are you know well yeah and in, in acdc just like like back in black was a monolith at the time and it even gained even more sales as the time has got just got on i believe i don't know i have the exact numbers but i think worldwide it's somewhere around 40 million or something like that it's i'm pretty insane. sure that back in black is the heart is the best-selling hard rock album of all time without like i don't think there's a close second yeah and and one of the best-selling albums period of all time yeah it's like it's, it's there. yeah it's in like rumors territory i hate to keep coming back to Fleetwood mac i don't know how to keep <laughs> you got yeah. Mac on the back. yeah i guess so i don't know but there is a curse, you know, there's a downside to that. It was so successful so right. soon that the expectations were really high. So yeah. then we can move on to maybe the letdown era. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, yes, because we can. They never of... really let you down. That's the thing about ACDC. They'd at least, they'd at least deliver some, some rock and roll goodness. Yeah. To you, regardless, every album. Well, and they, yeah. they, they transitioned to For Those About to Rock. Um, <laughs> and which the title track's got to be one of their best songs. well that's one of their best songs of all time yeah, yeah. and it's like they close every fucking concert with those that's about to rock perfect, perfect closing song yeah um, Fire. um <laughs> and it like it, it's not as good as back in black but it's still really good and yeah, did, um like uh i put the finger on you um I the long knives remember the long knives. uh motley crew ripped that song off oh yeah the <laughs> Yes, Doctor Feelgood. Yeah, for Doctor oh. Feelgood. Yeah, yeah. I love Evil Walks. That's a great yeah. song. From oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Inject the Venom is is mm -hmm. a. Uh, I used to say I thought he said "bitch" in the Phantom at first when I heard it, but that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a solid follow up. It was really after that where it's just like, well, we got two really good songs, an album. You know, like what do you expect of us? God damn it. Well, after after that goes flick of the switch. Mm hmm. And that is where they really began tailing off in popularity. Well, um, how much of that, Marty, do you think is the production? Because after, for those about to rock, they started producing their own albums for a while. 
well, and you can really tell. There's a like, very different production style on Fly on the Wall and Flick of the Switch. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I don't know that it served them as well. So maybe they felt like Mutt Lang was getting too much credit for the success of Back in Black and Highway to Hell. Who yeah. knows? But there's definitely a difference in the way those albums sound. Well, Flick of the, Flick mm -hmm. of the Switch has, still has Mutt Lang on it. Um, oh, I didn't know that. But the, the, the form the formula is still there, but it's like that there's nothing really notable on Flick of the Switch. Um it's Which got makes sense why the next album that really made like an impact was uh Razor's Edge. Razor's really, Edge. Basically between uh Those About to Rock, We Salute You to the Razor's Edge is kinda of just like, well, there's a couple good songs here and there, you know, kinda and then you get to Razor's Edge, it's a little more a little more produced, but not the same kind of production. Uh, uh, Matt, uh, Magnus, your uh, question to me off podcast about uh, my least favorite ACDC song. It's on yeah. Fly on the Wall. It's actually Shake Your Foundations. Oh. That's your least favorite ACDC album? Uh, it's your least favorite song. I just heard that song today, and I was like, it's okay. It's still pretty, you know. Yeah. I had never heard anything on Fly on the Wall before today, actually. Uh, I I know Morty and I disagree on this, and I know Fly on the Wall is not their most loved album, to say the <laughs> least. However, <laughs> I really enjoy it. I love Fly on the Wall, the title track. I love Sink the Pink. Um, I'd say the pink I do know. Yeah, it's it, for me. I I really enjoy it. Flick on yeah. the Switch is different. There's really nothing on Flick on the Switch that really grabs me. It, but you know, even bad ACDC songs are like it's like pizza or sex. It and zombie even when movies. Even when it's, yeah, zombie, even when it's bad, it's still a better way to pass your time than most things you can yeah, think it's of. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it is true. Well, uh, uh, Blow Up Your Video is notable for me because it's the last time Brian Johnson wrote lyrics for ACDC in 1988. Oh, right. ah. That one's got Heat Seeker on it, which was always a great concert uh, staple of theirs. And, you mm. know, it, it is, it is, it kind of was also a disappointment, and that was notable for, I believe it was um, uh, Malcolm Young stepped away from the band to get his uh, per his drinking uh, under control. Oh, really? And uh, <laughs> and that uh, his part was taken over by I, I think uh, I'm I'm right in saying Stevie, right? Stevie Stevie Young. Yeah, Stevie Young, the nephew. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is that who's playing uh, rhythm for him now? Yeah. Yep. Is it? Yeah. Cool. For and... the last two albums, actually. So. Oh. So with Razor's Edge, they really just they don't they they don't hit a home run. They hit a triple with Razor's Edge, and it was everywhere. As I remember, Razor's Edge was om omnipresent throughout. That was the first ACDC I remember ever hearing. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I think that's true for a lot of us because Money Talks was enormous, and in fact, yeah. I think to this day, Money Talks is their highest charting single in the U.S. At least, mm -hmm. I can see that uh, video. That video especially was that. Are you ready? Is still played in every sports sporting event. Right. You know, high school yeah. graduation. I mean, it's just it's still. I think um, Razor's Edge is among their best. I would put it in the second tier with Powerage and, and the current album. Right, Fire oh, your guns! Fire your guns is a great song. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And Thunderstruck is like definitely one of their best songs ever. Right, and it's like yeah. it's like in the top ten ACDC songs easily. And, 
And of course, it's got a song in it called "Got You by the Balls." So, uh, mm-hmm. of course, yeah. <laughs> "Mistress for Christmas," which is what I prefer to listen to. That I is, love that song. Yeah, I love that, song. that and "Fear Fears Fuck Christmas." That's on my like alternative Christmas playlist. Not what a big about, Christmas fan. What about yeah. uh, "Christmas with the Devil"? Oh yeah, Spinal Tap for sure. <laughs> They're on there too. Yeah, is that concert video? Is it, he wishes you it was well, a great Christmas. He does. <laughs> Uh, we digress. We probably did a whole show on Spinal Tap. On That's this. right. And, and the title track of The Razor's Edge is quite um, sinister. Oh, it is, it's, yeah. It's great, yeah. It is, and it was their uh, titular comeback, right? It was well, their like you know, and, yeah. and that's what their second or third comeback. If you consider Back in Black a comeback, mm-hmm. and then Razor's Edge a commercial comeback, right? Um. Yeah, that was. I would say that was our second big comeback. Really yeah, then. because it was, uh, and it was huge, and ACDC became the uh, omnipresent arena band at that point. Yeah, they exactly. were because it was that album where they did live at Donington, which, like I said, right. is like the coolest live uh, live concert. I mean, you know, like as far as like a concert video or whatever I've ever seen. Oh my god! Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. Now we move. Four, uh, five years later, and this is where the gaps between the albums <laughs> start beginning ridiculous. It's basically they're averaging five years uh, between albums at this point. And you get to uh, a very controversial album for among ACDC fans, Ball Breaker. Hmm. And it's got Heart as a Rock on it. Great song. Yep. Yeah, great riff. Again, it's like that really jumps out at you, you know. You know, and the and the title track is great. I thought, um, but uh, some of the songs in it are just not good. It just they 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 didn't hit it with that one, and they took another kind of extended break after Ball Breaker. Mm. So, um, um, I've honestly never heard anything off that album except for Ball Breaker and Hard as a Rock. I never had any interest. It's like the albums I'm talking about. You know, it's like I'm like. These are the two songs on this album that are obviously good. I don't need to delve any farther. Right. And then 2001 or 2000, they release Stiff Upper Lip. We all That's remember. A That's a great song, too. So we had, we had three albums in 10 years, right? Yes. 90 was Razor's yeah. Edge. Ball Break was 94, 95. Yeah. And then 2000 was Stiff Upper Lip. So mm-hmm. now we're getting five years between albums, right? <laughs> Must be nice. It's like look, they're, they're forever wealthy off of uh, Highway to Hell and Back in Black. So back in well, back in black. To not have to do something or I, not I, even put out an album unless you want to. I yeah. don't think Brian Johnson has to ever work again based on the publishing for <laughs> for Back in Black. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think any of them have to work ever. Yeah. I'm sure but, there was some trouble paying Malcolm Young's medical bills. Let's just put it that way. You know what I'm saying? But but stiff upper lip. There's other than the the title track. There's not really anything notable notable on stiff upper lip, right? It's pretty uninspired. I mean, I would put it on the bottom. Uh, Ever heard stiff upper lip? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would put it with awesome. the switch. You know, at the bottom. I just I listened to it once and just never listened to it again. Mm-hmm. But stiff upper lip is an awesome song. Stiff upper lip. Yeah. 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 Anyway. <laughs> Then uh, eight years pass. Wow. And we get, then we get 
Black Ice, which is one of my one of my favorite ACDC albums. Um, wow. I never heard it. Uh, oh, it's good. Skies yeah. on Fire, great. Just hmm. really great. Uh, Rock and Roll Train's a good first single. Um, Smash and Grab is great. Yeah, Smash and Grab. War Machine's a great song. Um, it, 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 and it was produced really well. I mean, really, really well. And uh, Brendan O'Brien was on Black Ice. That one, too. Yeah. Hey, and, Marty, uh, uh, I, I, I re-listened to Black Ice the other day, and I loved the album when it came out, and I still think it's really good. If I had any complaints now, though, it's a little bloated. I think it's like 15 tracks. Yes. I think it could have been tighter. That's my only complaint about it. There's still mm-hmm. some songs on there that I skip sometimes. Yeah. Um, but definitely their best since Razor's Edge. No question about that when it right. came out. When it came out, that definitely was a huge step up over Stiff Upper Lip and uh, um, and, and uh, All Breaker. Uh, yeah. And then uh, another, <laughs> another, I think it was six years pass. <laughs> Wait, wait, before we get to the, the next album, Marty, right. uh, that Black Ice tour was really successful, and yes, they, they played great, and if you want to see the, the footage, there's a, a DVD or download you can buy called Live at River Plate, which I think was somewhere in South America. Yes. And it's a great show, and that, that South American crowd loves ACDC. They're going absolute bananas. The boys are playing great. I thought it was a a really good period for them unfortunately it was during the black eyes tour that they started to notice malcolm's dementia oh, uh, yes. um, and that's that was the last album that he played on unfortunately yes and that was that was his swan song as a as a recording artist and i saw an interview recently with uh angus where he was talking about during the recording of black eyes is when they started noticing that uh uh, Mal um, wasn't um, responding like he used to, mm-hmm. and there was some things wrong. And that's got to be, and just on a just on a on a on a human level, that's got to be really hard to oh, sure. to like notice this and not they don't necessarily themselves notice it, and then you kind of tell them that they're off, and it's just it it's got to be pretty hard. And I'm sure doubly so, triply so for Angus Young, who's like it's his own brother, right? Yeah. So yeah, they go ahead and and re, and regroup for rocker uh, rocker bust six years later uh, with uh, Stevie Young, and um, it wasn't very good. Um, in, right, in retrospect, Marty, I I like it better now than I did at the time. Yeah, it's definitely one of their lesser efforts. Not not lesser like stiff up for lip, but it's just not great. You yeah. know. You can tell it feels kind of labored, you know. Well, and and you could tell a little bit, like in retrospect, that their heart wasn't in it. Yeah. And that is where that is where it's kind of like that's where you thought it was going to end. Now, controversially, and uh, Magnus and I have talked about this. Uh, it was during that tour that Brian Johnson had some hearing issues and had to leave the tour. Um. There was about them are incontinent yet, right? No, no, no. Oh, okay, good. That Maybe. was the fear that that because that is the tour where they replaced Brian Johnson with Angus or Angus that with Axel Rose. Let's get say Angus oh, Rose. Well, and and even before then, Morty, uh, Phil Rudd got into legal trouble. Oh, that's and, right. 
he had allegedly hired someone to kill someone or made inquiries about that and they took the passport away i mean come on and and so they they started off the tour without their drummer so that was the first thing mm-hmm. well the first thing being malcolm wasn't with them of course then phil got into legal trouble and then brian's hearing i mean just if you talk to any of those band, or listen to any of the band members they'll say that that tour was really tough from the beginning Oh, yeah. You know, and I think I think Malcolm not being there for the first time, not having Malcolm with them must have been enormously challenging. And then you add Phil and Brian and then Cliff Williams just quit at the end of the tour. Jeez. Uh, Axl Rose stepping in, which by all accounts, Axl did a good job and was very professional, but... Um, That's a first. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I... I get, I just get the feeling that if Brian's not there, that that party vibe that he brought, that down home guy I want to have a beer with vibe, it's not the same, you know. And nah. it was a tough tour, and it looked like the end. Would Would you say that's true, Marty? Probably most yes. people thought. Yes, in fact, you wouldn't have been you uh, far off in thinking that uh, just they completely ran, ran out of steam. Uh, members die and i think one of the reasons cliff williams quit was because brian johnson wasn't there anymore and uh it was just it's it's hard for a band to face that sort of thing and morty had malcolm died or was he still just sick when no he was still sick he he didn't die till 2017 yeah that's what but it was like um uh, yeah with anyone with dementia who has a family member with dementia could tell you uh they're they're not there and uh you know it's it's like with my grand my grandfather had it and you know sometimes you would you would uh he'd recognize you sometimes he wouldn't you know it's one of those things um so they come to this and and one of the one of the reasons we went through this whole uh history of this band was to kind of tell you how remarkable it is that they were able to produce an album that is as good as it is in 2020. Um, then, and, and uh, Magnus, you, you said it right. It's better than it ev- really has any right to be. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and by the way, um, it, it looked like the end of the band and, you know, I guess it, Angus had told the band members, you know, I don't know if we're going to do anything else, but if I do, do you want me to give you a call? Um, and then Brian Johnson had this kind of miraculous intervention of new technology that allowed him to hear, mm-hmm. uh, which was unexpected. And the, the way I read it was that he found this person over the, like on YouTube and reached out to the person who had developed this new hearing technology and it worked and it was like miraculous that he could sing again. And so uh, between rock and bust and, and 2018, Angus had been going through the archives of all the song ideas and demos that he and Malcolm had done over the years. And I guess they had stockpiled hundreds of song ideas and riffs Nice. and started picking out some good ones and some things that he thought had potential and was excited enough about the material that he, you know, called up Clippy and, and Phil's legal troubles were behind him by then. And uh, Brian could hear. And so, you know, the call was put out, hey, what do you guys think about getting back together and trying out this material? You know, Malcolm doesn't play on the album, but he co-wrote almost all the songs, if not all of them. 
Um, you know, it's kind of like Van Halen's last studio album in that all of those songs come from demos that had been written and recorded decades yeah. earlier yeah. in some cases. 40 years before, yep. So it's not really new material, but it's new to us. And mm -hmm. definitely um, Brian Johnson said that when he came to the studio and they all met up, he just was floored by the quality of the the songs. And they all just felt this energy. And, and it kind of became like Black and Black, Back on Black was a de facto tribute to Bon Scott. This kind of became, I think, a tribute to Malcolm, mm -hmm. um, which motivated their playing. So I would say it's their third career renaissance their mm -hmm. third comeback it's a miracle it's a it's so miracle it's so good i mean and, and that's really what what is was mm. kind of the genesis of this idea was like uh it's remarkable how they were able to pull it together <laughs> and get this and they make this all come together and make it uh, make sense and make it so good and um you know to kind of sum everything up let's 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 kind of talk about just give me one song if you're going to show like some an, an alien that comes to this planet that wants to know about rock and roll and mm. you want to show them that AC, ACDC, what song are you guys picking out? Uh, go with you, Joe, first. What, what, wait, wait, what, real quick before we do that, Murray. Yeah. Uh, this, just, this just flashed in my, uh, mm. my phone. ACDC's Power Up shot to number one fastest selling album in 2020. Wow. See? Especially in a, in a time like this, ACDC is selling is selling the stuff we need to be buying. That's what it comes down to. Well, like, it's like I said earlier, like doctors should prescribe ACDC. <laughs> like, like like you're sad. Take take a take a ten cc's of ACDC. You know, and actually, as far as your question, Morty, I think I almost always have to go back to Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution. That's my fucking song, man. Yeah. It's just like, it's the ultimate song about how, how rock and roll is the greatest thing, one of the greatest things that's ever been invented on earth and it won't ever die. And, you know, fuck anybody else who says right. differently. Right. Yeah. Uh, mine would be for those about to rock because it's like right. every, exactly. every, everyone's about to rock, right? It is, <laughs> theoretically. Some people never rock. I don't think like, um, I uh, hate to get back to that Christian fundamentalist thing, but it seems to kind of go hand in hand. I don't think uh, Jerry Falwell ever rocked. I, I I don't think the band Bread ever rocked. <laughs> no, but that, I think they were happy. You know, maybe they never <laughs> rocked, but, but they were happy. You know, and that's and they wrote some some very pleasant songs about love and so forth. But yeah, yeah, okay. Dad, Dad, it's the drummer from Bread. Yeah, where? where? <laughs> yeah. Simpsons reference to, to those of you who might not know. <laughs> Uh, what do you think, uh, Magnus? Uh, so we're we're talking about what would be the one ACDC song that we yeah. would point to as yeah. the definitive. It's like an alien who came down to Earth is like, we must know about rock and roll. <laughs> oh, you know, Great alien impression. Uh, it's so <laughs> tough. I would say right now, if you ask me tomorrow, I might have a different answer. But right yeah. now, that's fair. I would pick. It's a long way to the top. Yeah, another ex excellent yeah. example. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. so true right? it's just a perfect song and mm. the, the fact that they were so young it's on their first album and bon uh, scott does a bagpipe solo yeah the and by the way the bagpipe was george young's idea mm. and apparently that became the bane of bon scott's existence because they had heard that he was in a scottish band not yeah. really he had played drums in that band not bagpipes so they just assumed he could play bagpipe. <laughs> 
But he could play the recorder. You know, yeah. he, he had one of the least metal moments was playing recorder on like a folk album. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the, 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 another little factoid about uh, ACDC is that uh, the Young Brothers and uh, Bon Scott are all Scottish, right? <laughs> They're all, uh, I think. That's right. I think they're like patriots, aren't they? Like their parents came from Scotland. Right. I don't think the Young Brothers were even born in Australia, were they? Were they, uh, born they were all born in, uh, in Scotland. In Scotland. They were all, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, so they are like Scottish expatriates living in Australia. And that's what they, you know, like, it's amazing how like, like they all had that uh, uh, kind of background that came together in uh, like down under. They really, they really look it too. They look like Scots. Oh, kind yeah. Of. Angus yeah. and Macklin both look like look like they would be at home in the cast of Braveheart, don't they? Oh yeah. Well, they, they you'd look like they would be right at home talking in that Scottish brogue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kicking people in the balls and headbutting them. Yeah. Can I can I just say one final thing about yes. Angus? Mm. You know, first of all, if ACDC didn't exist, we would have to invent them because they're so necessary. Right. And I would agree. Angus. And Angus Young is a character so good that you couldn't write it. You know, yeah. His his onstage character with the schoolboy outfit and you know the way he plays and the physicality of it. There's really no one like him. No. And I can't and I can't imagine rock and roll without him. He's one of the the most vivid rock and roll characters. And mm -hmm. and on top of that, his playing is phenomenal. Oh, God, yeah. He is uh, a textbook blues rock player. Textbook. You know, my, my favorite solo of his might be is uh, Squealer. Ooh, that oh, that's a, that's a good one. Unbelievable. It's uh, like, yeah. yeah. Mine's right for on. Me, for me, the solos he plays over that riff in Back in Black, the outro solos, uh, are the blind. I, I, I think that's some of his finest playing um, up to that point for sure. Remember how much he moved on the stage playing that too? I remember talking with one of you about that. Like, how do you move around on the stage and play that riff? Like, how do you, like, yeah. How do you oh do it at the same time? I mean, yeah. he was constantly moving his head. I, every, yeah. time I, uh, every time I see uh, Angus Young, I think, oh, my God, that's just the back of my neck starts hurting. I, wa I wonder about brain damage. I mean, his brain yeah. is sliding around in there for years <laughs> with that head bang. But, you know, he, he doesn't need all his brain. You know he's got the <laughs> yeah exactly he needs the you know he's got the part that's uh that rocks that that that's sustenance and by the way yeah. just by all accounts is not a big drinker or partier he likes milk tea and chocolate bars that's kind of what he runs on <laughs> nice. so like ten percent of his brain is sustenance milk tea and chocolate bars you know probably thirty percent pussy right and then <laughs> and then and then the balance is just rock. rocking. Yeah, exactly. That's important. That's the important. Oh, well, look, he's he's gonna, earned a healthy balance. That's he's going to live forever. He's going to live forever because he's what four foot two. So uh, <laughs> exactly. he's like a mouse. He's yes. a he's a forest nymph. Yes, <laughs> in human form. Yes, he is. Who just rocks. But I hope everyone kind of get you know, like from this our 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 synopsis here, like it gets an idea of like just just how awesome ACDC is. And they will always, they will never not be awesome, even when they're lame. They're 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 still awesome. I don't and, think that. Yeah, that's not a word that goes with that. Yeah, lame never goes with that. No, yeah. and uh, you know, let there be rock. You know, it's just we are be rock. We are uh, talking about the uh, how great this band is, and like Joe, 
Mm-hmm. Now, in your post-podcast research, <laughs> you need to, you yes. need to listen to Paul. I'll listen Rumble to this new one. You guys yes. gave me perspective I just wouldn't have had otherwise. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'm like one of your listeners. <laughs> Everyone go listen to Power Up. It's amazing. It's, it's great. Miss of Time, Through the Mist of Time is one of their best songs ever. And it's I think it is a tribute to Malcolm, actually. It cool. really is. Uh, so uh, anyway, thank you all for joining us on the latest uh, Gen X uh, music show. We'll be back really soon with another scintillating subject. Goodbye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.